Hello dear listeners thank you so much for tuning in to episode 1 and 2 of my audio podcast series in conversation with my name is Naval Singh I work as a developer representative at IBM Bangalore the postings the thoughts the opinions views and comments on this podcast are my own and they don't necessarily represent IBM's positions strategies or opinions I hold an MBA from IIM Indore and BTech in electrical engineering from an Adit Urkela about in conversation with in conversation with podcast series has aired its first episode on 4th february 2018 and is completely not for profit i create and host this podcast in my personal time and do not associate it with my regular work at ibm the only takeaway for speakers is air time to pitch their ideas they take around 2 to 3 minutes in the podcast to speak what they are doing what they are working on uh, in couple of episodes mahesh will join us in adding the developers viewpoint he has worked nearly two decades in software development and maintenance and leadership positions and he has rich experience you can hear more about this podcast on www.soundcloud.com/inconversationwith thank you so much for tuning in and enjoy the podcast this is navels in conversation with again with third episode of my audio podcast series and today we have with us pallav pallav is the co-founder of fusion charts a javascript charting library which he started in 2002 and he has bootstrapped since then he can be reached on pallav good morning pallav how are you doing good morning navel i'm doing great and thank you for having me here it's it's a pleasure pallav and uh, today's topic uh, is api economy in india stickiness is the word uh, we have seen that as software platforms or products have grown uh, they have moved quickly from selling licenses to subscription and finally to an api and it's a very good uh, and great maturity curve that companies have evolved and seen happening so uh, i was curious to know how indian companies would start on this path and and who could be the better person than you because you have a company which has grown uh, fantastically and has had Uh, an API and uh, product uh, both model. So uh, why don't you introduce uh, yourself and let us know uh, what are you working on, and then we'll start the discussion. Sure, Navel. Uh, so Navel, we are basically a JavaScript charting library, uh, mm-hmm. which helps web and mobile developers build charts and graphs in their applications. Mm-hmm. Typically, these charts are used for internal dashboards, uh, the monitoring systems, surveys. So on and so forth. They have data in their system. They need to visualize it. They use our API to visualize it. As simple as that. And we've been doing it for the last 15 years. Um, I started it out of my bedroom, and one thing led to another, and then we are about a team of 100 people across Calcutta and Bangalore. Uh, mm-hmm. With about six products already live in the JavaScript charting, and a couple more up in the pipeline. Uh, mm-hmm. What's exciting for us is uh, the move, the the information deluge which is happening in the world. and how people need to make a sense out of that data and then the uh, percolation of so many devices which are now coming out which will enable better consumption of data so just the uh, opportunities to help people make sense out of data and not let them be scared of this data uh, is something which is keeping us very excited and that's what we have been working on for the last couple of years and you'll see a bunch of new things coming out very soon that that's great and so uh so let me uh, understand this here so as we saw the software mature uh, both from perspective in indian market as well as the global market 
uh, we we saw the software used to come in the form of CDs and DVDs and and then people used to buy it and install it on a computer and we remember the days when there used to be a screen set saying that insert disk one of ten and insert disk two of ten and those days so how has that come along I know uh, nowadays we are more talking about buying software directly from web or not even downloading anything just using uh, an API. So can you walk us through this entire growth and maturity of software and how software sales have changed over the past decade or two? Indeed, I mean, I'll have to go into a bit of nostalgia here, especially when you mentioned the floppy disk days. The fear which you would always have is, hey, what if one of the floppy drives would not work? Then you again have to call the support and get another of those floppy drives shipped. Uh, but yeah, those are fun days. So I think overall there have been multiple uh, vectors of evolution of software novel. Uh, one is the way software was delivered, uh, which means from floppy drives to CD drives, uh, later to DVDs, then to downloadable software, then to uh, now no software at all, basically software which is served in your browser as SaaS. Then in terms of the entire topology of how software was delivered, so earlier you had mainframes and microcomputers, uh, which was a very heavy server-based application, then we moved to client-server applications on Windows. Then we moved to web applications, which is primarily very thin client and a lot of code on the server. And then with mobile apps, again, we are back to client-server applications. So it's an interesting cycle which keeps on repeating there. Uh, third, also in terms of the overall ownership of the software stack by a company, like if you look at uh, in the initial days, uh, lot of, a single company would own the entire stack, like IBM would own the hardware, the software, uh, and they will deliver the entire suite of applications. Uh, but later, at a different point in time, uh, you'll have different players owning different horizontal layers. Uh, for example, you'll have word processor companies like WordPerfect or Lotus or Microsoft coming in with their uh, uh, Microsoft Office, and then other companies would uh, own different parts of the application. So overall, these have been the different kind of evolution in the mode of delivery of the software, the client-server topology, uh, vertical and the horizontal stack and also the consumption pattern uh, but as of now more and more software is getting to a point where it's almost frictionless people don't have to install something unless it's an app where you have to go and download uh, the design of the software is very good it's not clunky it's not like the typical old uh, 90s enterprisey uh, and see almost everybody can use software because it's so visual today mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, so I hear you talk about consumption and delivery model. So uh, can you walk us through how the license-based model changed into a subscription-based model and now we are looking more into an API-based billing model and uh, what, what brought this entire change uh, in software delivery and consumption? Sure. So I think there are a couple of vectors which led to that. So first is in the license-based delivery. Uh, when people are selling software through floppy disks or uh, let's say CD drives, you send out those CD drives or floppy disks with license keys printed on the back. Uh, you would never know how many of those software licenses are being used in the company or they are present as shelfware. And by shelfware, I'm uh, referring to software which was bought but never used. So the software vendors would not know whether the consumers are using the software or in some cases even overusing the software, which is software piracy, uh, which would lead to loss of revenue. Uh, and then updates were very difficult. And software is a constantly evolving field. So imagine you've shipped a bunch of CD drives for version one of the software. When you have to do a version 1.1, those updates need to be shipped again. 
But with the advent of internet, some of these things became downloadable, but still those were large file sizes and you would not be able to track uh, which customer is on what version of software or how to enforce all those updates for the customer, which is where with the advent of SaaS applications or web-based applications, uh, the entire software now moved to the server, the server of the uh, software vendor, which is what we call SaaS. And then you have continual updates. You had multiple versions potentially of the same software running for different clients, if at all you are a large company. And the entire infrastructure and the software was controlled by the vendor. And I think Salesforce was the key enabler in this where they started with the no cloud movement. And they said, why install software? Why have your own servers? Why have your IT team? And that's a very strong messaging which they did, which enabled a lot of other companies to look at cloud and look at software being hosted as an alternative means and a more efficient means of running the software. And once that happened, uh, then the web protocols changed uh, with respect to distributed computing. Like in the earlier days, it was Corba, or it was uh, remote computing was a, diff was a difficult thing to do. Or you had like things like SOAP, which was an external-based protocol. Uh, when web 2.0 was shaping up just a few years before that, the concept of REST-based API, which is basically a URL, uh, to a resource. It's basically, think of REST as a, like what GUI is to a business application, a REST is to a set of program, uh, programmable modules. So REST enabled developers or companies, software companies, to share information between different endpoints or different software. So that sort of created the API economy. And, mm -hmm. and if I'm not wrong, I think uh, the first consumers of this API economy where I think uh, eBay and Flickr and then at later point Salesforce and Twitter and whole bunch of such applications who either had content or data or images or something of that sort where they were either doing mashup by getting other content and data from other applications or these guys were pushing to other applications making all the different kinds of such new products interoperable. So that is where the API economy uh, started. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And uh, when you say that the APIs came into picture, uh, I believe it would be more uh, useful for startups who are the, uh, having expert in a niche area to, ex to expertise and make a software instead of building everything and then just buy the other part or borrow an API from someone else uh, instead of trying to do everything. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I don't see a reason why, like if a startup is trying to build a product or an offering, that should be in the functional area of their expertise. No startup goes out and says, hey, I'm going to write my own operating system, unless you're an operating system startup. So why then build the rest of the stack yourself? So let's say imagine if you are an e-commerce company, you don't necessarily have to build your own payment gateway or your own shipping gateway, or let's say customer profiling uh, APIs, which gives you more information about the customer. These are things which are already out there and they are done by companies whose sole focus is that. So if as a company you are trying to do too many things and which is not your core focus and which is not what is getting you the core revenue, A, you are diluting too much attention into things which are not uh, the fundamental business. B, there's a chance that you may have these projects as awesome projects. Uh, C, whatever you do, it may be behind in terms of technology or in terms of the service quality compared to another company whose only job is getting this thing right, whose survival depends on getting this thing right. Uh, so for companies, especially smaller companies, I would mention, uh, focusing on that one small thing, that niche area where they're experts, 
where they can be thought leaders, where they ignore existing customers or have access to potential customers with whom they can talk to and understand the nuances of the problem and solve it in a cleaner way is the best way to go about it. And if I have to pick up a global example, like it looks so simple, uh, Stripe as an example, where they just created an API for uh, better payments, like very clean API, very well documented, and developers loved it. And it's a multi-billion dollar company right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, I missed out the company, uh, which which was company you mentioned here? Uh, Stripe. Perfect, perfect. Stripe for the payments here, correct. And uh, recently, I believe Visa has also opened its developer API for people to come and uh, use their existing data set, their ATMs, their white label ATMs in Europe and stuff. So I see uh, companies coming in uh, now, American Express, JP Morgan, they're also trying to be a part of these uh, fintech groups where they can integrate their existing systems with newer technologies. So I believe if you are a startup who are who is uh, focusing more on a particular technology, can be uh, say a blockchain technology, can be a particular payment gateway, can be a service or a micropayment. If you are uh, willing to let the stack be used by someone else or you want to be a part of someone else's ecosystem, you need to have more uh, hooks and interlocks. So uh, yes, I agree definitely. But can you uh, can you help us understand if you are a startup and you are only uh, focusing on a niche area, how do you get a network effect? And now we are moving from technology to a commercial part of the discussion. Uh, in a SaaS or an API or application programming interface kind of a business model, uh, where you are focusing on highly on utilization and the value for end user, you want to have very high volume if you want to drive revenue and volume would come when people will use it more and people will use it more if it's more sticky, more in, more easy to use, easy for developers, easy for end users. So, and I believe that would build a network effect. So can you help, can you walk us through, uh, if you have an example of how a network effect is built and how that helps a startup or even a larger company getting into a uh, API economy method to sell their software product and how to get a critical mass in that network effect. Sure. So I'll break this problem into three different parts. And I would, so first is getting the early adopters because without early adopters, you cannot get to critical mass. And to be able to get to early adopters, you essentially need to have a set of initial customers or prospects whom you were talking to based on whose inputs you made the product. So that is very founder driven. That's based on the network of the founder or the reach or the distribution you can reach out uh, at a personal level because till the software has been validated, till the customer say that it's solving a real pain point, uh, there's no point thinking about critical mass. Now, assuming that initial uh, validation has been done and the product market fit has been established from a solutions perspective, then to attain critical mass in SaaS or in a B2B API world, uh, there are two sub factors. One is what you can do with the product itself. And secondly, what do you do as a company? Now, if we think of from a product angle, uh, inherently B2B products are not viral unless it's a, either a collaboration product, for example, like Slack, where you need to add more people or InVision, where you need to add reviewers for from your design to development team, uh, so on and so forth. Uh, so one is you have to look at uh, small hooks in the product, which allow either expansion of more members who are using the product or 
wherever your product is used other people who are seeing this product can can get a sense of how uh, this company is powering this technology so for example in fusion chart uh, when we ship out the trial version of the product which allows unlimited usage all we write down at the bottom of the chart is powered by fusion chart so let's say if you are using fusion chart in your application the trial version and you put out with that uh, trial mark your customers will know get to know what fusion chart so essentially then you become the conduit for us to reach out to more prospects uh, similarly algolia which is search as an api company does that if you use the free plan uh, you can embed custom search in your web or in your application and in that search interface you will have powered by algolia so a lot of these widget companies or front end company front end component companies use this as a model uh, in collaboration uh, for example like slack the moment you add another member uh, that member uh, that member automatically has the ability to add more members so you automatically create a tree which can grow so it either you use a product hook like uh, messaging to tell more for the customers potential customers or you have native collaboration features built into the product uh, so that's on the product side uh, there's a third one on the product side but which is again dependent on the product is integration so if you look at zapier as an example uh, they have integrations with all the cloud companies in the world uh, or most of the cloud companies all of these are very strong words Uh, and what they do is, so if you want to say, hey, I want to integrate my Freshdesk and Salesforce, the moment you go and type Freshdesk Salesforce integration, instead of either a Freshdesk or Salesforce page, you have a Zapier page which lists how you can use Zapier to integrate Salesforce and Freshdesk. So that also brings in network effect by using some other product names in the bigger category. At a company level, I think the main network effect would be, hey, how do you get uh happier customers so that your word of mouth whether it's internal which means other departments or other teams or external which means uh people referring to their friends in other companies uh but beyond that uh i don't think the virality like consumer market uh which can be replicated in uh b2b product as of now mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh so this is a part from where you can get number of users into system but uh, i believe we have seen in india there are a lot of good companies uh, in food delivery business if i remember well in bangalore which uh, did great job scaled up very quickly but just didn't have a lasting business model or if you can quote uh, warren buffett did not have a moat around the business plan so that they can sustain themselves and have a sustaining uh, sustainable uh, business model where someone else will not come and copy them so uh, do you have an example of company which has been able to avoid that trap and has been able to uh, make revenue or maybe if you can share your own example from fusion charts which has been able to make at least sustainable revenue over years by uh, by just billing api calls instead of just selling licenses sure so before i answer that level i think the key thing to build on moat is not just price discounting uh so either you have to have technology which is stronger or you have to have a brand which reflects the collection is better or extremely good customer service for which people want to pay if it's just price discounting uh i don't think that's a strong mode around i agree definitely it's a complete business model uh, i believe both uh, technologically super, uh, supreme product and uh, which has more customer uh, attraction and buy in and lock up if i can use the word uh can be example of an iphone which gives around 60% or more revenue of to apple 
and has a very devoted follower, follower, followership. And uh, Samsung is still trying to get into that area and trying to get more people to use their own uh, latest flagship products. So I agree that just price discounting is not necessary. But uh, an example, which uh, without even price discounting, a company which has been able to sell API-based product and get traction and uh, people and still scale up and make money in, in India from Indian perspective. So if I have to pick one company which is doing that output, would uh, pick browser stack. So browser stack essentially is an Indian company which helps you test your web and mobile applications mm-hmm. in different browsers in, on different devices without you having to own one. So they have an API service where you just call that API and you're able to see that screen. Uh, how this will look on let's say an i6 or i7 or i8 or on some obscure device mm-hmm. so which is privately built on api and i think they've built a fundamentally sound business and um, just i think last month or so they raised another they raised their first round which was a 50 million round uh, so solid revenue solid team completely api based company similarly postman is another one with, which is about developer api testing then you have a whole bunch of marketing uh, marketing tools SDK like MoEngage and CleverTap and VitaOut, uh, where they provide APIs to be embedded within mobile apps for uh, better customer segmentation, profiling, so on and so forth. Then there was mm-hmm. another company called Byte.co, which got acquired by Full Contact, where they had a uh, API to get more data about a person. So you send in an email in an API, and you'll get about 40 to 50 dimensions, additional dimensions on that person, partly by machines and partly by computers. So that's a hybrid model, which is around uh, providing intelligence on personal data. Um, there's another company called Plivo, which is a cloud telephony bridge, uh, like a bridge between internet and telephone. And that's also API-based company. Uh, at Fusion Charts, we are an API-based company where if you want to build charts and graphs in your, data, in your application, you just call our API. In our case, because it's a library, so you ship it to you and you call a local API, uh, but then you get charts and graphs. I think there are enough and more companies in India who have understood the value of API and they've started monetizing it. Uh, but the common thing between all the examples that I said is technology is the core strength for them. But uh, you may have data assistance. There are companies where you get access to data or you create those data sets, like in the case of Vibe.co, uh, where data becomes your mode, whether it's the volume of data, quality of data, or the velocity of new data, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Understood. And uh, can you share experience of Fusion Charts when uh, your company started? And it, I understand it's 15 years since the company has been growing. Uh, how was the revenue growth and uh, were you worried when the entire delivery model changed to a more customer driven and you know uh, distributed usage instead of more people just using your own chart and developing on your own platform uh, and when this mobile app based uh, evangelists came into uh, picture and they focused more on say an android app or a uh, an iPad app, and they wanted to use JavaScript libraries for charting. Uh, did you face uh, any kind of competition and felt that uh, your business model may be at risk? And how was that entire uh, that part of growth and revenue? Sure. So uh, I think since from the time we started from 2002 till 2013, we had a pretty good revenue growth curve. Uh, 
uh, every year we do double digits, uh, some year we do triple digits percentage. Uh, 2013 onwards, because of a combination of open source, uh, mobile, and a lot of tools where people, tools which can be used for business users, where they can create these charts and graphs themselves uh, without having the need for a developer or a library. Those affect our revenues for sure. Uh, but that's also good uh, in a way because that's uh, enabling us to think forward where we are not just looking at ourselves as a charting company anymore, where we are looking at ourselves as an enabler for conversion of data to sense making uh, through the eyes, through visualization. So what has happened is, uh, rather than looking at just what these have done to us, we are now building more on top of this saying, hey, these are the 20 other problems which uh, developers are facing or business users are facing, or these are things which have been explored in the academic world, but they have not been brought to actual implementation in the industry. So overall, we are investing in all of them, and I think the API economy is going to further help us because with some of the newer products that we are building, it's either going to be based on the usage, uh, which is could be or uh, based on the volume of data, or based on the outcome that you receive from our uh, chart, which could be either a core chart or a core video, and some of those options that we are internally exploring as of now. Okay, so uh, th this sounds a good roller coaster ride. So, but when uh, so, how do our developers who are interested to know more about uh, our listener developers who are more interested to know about vision charts? reach out to you or your team? So where can they find you online? Sure. So first is they can look at the website, www.fusioncharts.com, or they can write to me directly. I'm at pallav, P-A-L-L-A-V, at fusioncharts.com. Or if you want to engage on a casual discussion, I'm on Twitter at pallavan. Okay. And uh, what does pallav do when he is uh, not developing code for fusion charts what are your hobbies what is the technology you are working on what are the new developments you are passionate about actually i stopped coding about six seven years ago so from 2002 to 2010 uh, a lot of the code shipped by the company was written by me today i think if i write a code my team would not even accept a second of that code uh, because they've come a long way <laughs> so as of now i think uh, my primary role is to be able to understand more customer problems what is happening in the data to sense making space, what are the current limitations of products which are out there? Uh, what is happening with what is happening with information deluge which we can solve? How do we make it more inclusive? Uh, so that's on the product side. Uh, but I have a deep interest in uh, psychology, behavioral economics, marketing. So a lot of reading goes into that. So one of the things which I've sort of realized is that while in India we are good at building products, uh, the way we position our products or the way we go and market and sell it is still very less trained uh, because again uh, the fundamental aspect is a bunch of analytical guys, logical guys, left brain guys are building the products and they are going out and pitching and selling and marketing it. So that's a strong area of interest for me on how to uh, change that aspect or percolate some of the learnings down back to the ecosystem and we do a lot of these experiments with fusion charts with positioning or branding or fun mascots and so on and so forth. Uh, some of them have worked, a lot of them have not worked, but nonetheless, uh, we've got to keep trying. Understood. Uh, um, so, so if this is a favorite question and we are, I ask this to all the panelists here. So if a developer or a startup person reaches out to you for advice and if you would want to give them advice uh, in growing this API economy or how to project to 
uh, establish their own company what would be the advice you would give to a developer and how to make their product at number one and number two if there's a company uh, and founder who comes to you and says i am in a part of api economy i want to be a part of multiple stacks what would be your advice to them mm -hmm. i think to someone who's starting up uh, and especially in this case if it's a developer out there before you write a line of code go and talk to 50 potential customers it's very easy to sit and write code and then figure out hey this is nobody's buying it and then blame the market for it uh, but going and talking to real prospects and customers and understanding the problem is where the real value lies before you actually go and write code so uh, there's a joke which we say that everything which you do before writing the first line of code is objective uh, and everything which you do after the first line of code is emotional because then you're attached to the code and changing that becomes uh, tricky for the developer. Uh, in terms of somebody who's already in the API economy, uh, it could again be split into multiple uh, uh, bifurcations out there. Somebody who's already growing very fast and looking at adjacent areas in the market to play or somebody who's looking to grow for the same API in different territorial ecosystems outside India or somebody who's not growing and trying to figure out what's not working, whether it's an engineering problem or product problem or a market problem, so on and so forth. So based on the kind of problems that they have, this will be very different advice. So if it's about adjacent market, or ask the developer or the founder to go and talk to the customer, the same customer, and ask more problems that the customer is facing which he could solve. Because there's nothing better than solving more problems for an existing customer because the cost of customer acquisition is near zero and the customer is already happy with your existing product. Mm -hmm. so somebody who's looking to grow out in global market, a uh, couple of things. One is uh, the quality of the product, is it good enough, whether it's your SLAs, your uh, latency, your response time, so on and so forth, like whatever the technical parameters are. Uh, B, is the API scalable to a global model? Like if it's a tech company, for example, browser stack, Yes, your API works everywhere because the tech is the same everywhere. But if it's a data company, let's say if you have data in India, uh, what does global expansion for you mean? Will this data be relevant for customers outside India? If yes, how many such customers are present, so on and so forth. Uh, if it's a person who's struggling with getting his API business up and running, I'd ask him to go back to step one and uh, talk to potential 50 prospects and really see if the pain point exists and is he solving it the right way. Mm -hmm. So uh, you you believe that it's more important uh, for developers or startup founders to focus on client first and customer expectations first rather than developing rather than, uh, rather than developing a product which is best and then thinking that it will sell on its own, right? Absolutely. Unless you are the first consumer of your own product, like for Fusion Charts, I was building charts for myself and my dad's company. So in which case, because the first consumer was me myself. So I was dog-fooding dog my own thing. Uh, so if you're building something to solve your own niche, that definitely works. But if you're not a domain expert and you're hypothesizing that, hey, if I build this, this will solve some other guy's problem, before building, go and talk, or talk to the other guy. Mm -hmm. Perfect. Uh, uh, in a nutshell, uh, I believe, uh, as we try to wrap up this discussion, we believe that as the entire software creation uh, delivery and final consumption has matured over past two decades at least uh, of our observation. Uh, it's become more uh, away from creation to more consumption. It's, it has moved more from away from developers who is developing a beautiful piece of code and expecting it to fly 
to a more client centric and customer centric development more agile way of doing iterations and short sprints and adding features and uh, coming back and forth to match the requirements uh, both the earlier model of selling hundreds of licenses and those licenses remaining unutilized and someone realizing it four years down the line when there is inventory done it's moved more towards an effective and cost efficient manner of uh, software utilization when it's more of a subscription and monthly consumption and then it has become more for from an instantaneous consumption kind of an api based call based billing system uh, where people are able to get more value and uh, it has also helped the developers because now they know better where their product is being used and how that is being used and so they can tweak their product to create more value uh, I think the pricing would also change in the sense it was earlier cost-based pricing. It's now more value-based pricing and what features customer wants. It's more easy to personalize and uh, curate a software product or an API to suit a requirement. Uh, more essential for that API or product to have uh, hooks or uh, integrations with uh, stacks across different uh, proprietary and open source frameworks for scaling up equally uh, has to be uh, more developer friendly in terms of use of ease of use because developers are now spoiled for choices there are a lot of companies coming up with equally friendlier interfaces and just simply click and drag and graphical user interface gui based uh, systems moving a bit away from command line interfaces uh, but still i believe that's the entire uh, journey that uh, our software sales model has seen and will continue to see as you move on uh, from both uh, revenue model we'll see that consumption will have to pick up for companies to be profitable and uh, definitely there I, I heard that Amazon is hiring uh, economists from Harvard and MIT and they're trying to get the best uh, pricing model so to reduce any customer surplus uh, and to increase their own uh, customer price discrimination so that they, they are able to build the each best price each person has the ability to offer and that's the way i see this entire api economy moving ahead uh, where uh, entry barriers are pretty low uh, a low price api has uh, people who want to use it can immediately put their card up and use a couple of paisa per api call to use it but again for them to make a lasting revenue it has to have both network effect and large customer devoted user base. Uh, thank you so much, Palav. Any parting comments before we wrap up the show? I think one thing which I best thought is for developers, if you're building an API, just ensure you have great documentation. There have been a lot of API products and uh, API libraries which work because they had fantastic documentation, quick start tutorials. So don't undermine that part. Uh, I think I'll leave it to that. Great to hear now. Yeah, I, I definitely. Documentation is the part where developers will and creators will have to look into. Second is definitely discussion forums. There have to be active discussion forums where people can come and post their questions of code challenges or problems and bugs, and they have to be very quickly uh, answered to uh, so that the, the developers will not face any problems in using the product. So yes, both an an active online community in terms of documentation and support would be the way ahead for companies to create a smoother experience uh, for their APIs to fly. Thank you so much, Palav, uh, for joining me on this Sunday morning. 
uh, this show, if you are listening, dear listeners, it will go live on 11th of March. And uh, it was great uh, talking to you, Pallav. And this was the third episode of In Conversation With. Uh, next episode, we will get another new Indian uh, leader or a technology expert to speak about a topic. The topic can be rural innovation. The topic can be education and digital content delivery. Uh, if you have any suggestions, do let us know on our Twitter handle, which is In Conversation With. You can let us know on our SoundCloud channel, which is again soundcloud.com slash in conversation with and also on our LinkedIn portal. Thank you so much for your time, Pallav. Have a good day and thank you, dear listeners, for tuning in. Thanks, Pallav. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you.